Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Peak Human Project. Um, I'm really excited about my guest today. Um, you may have heard of him on Instagram. He has a quite a large following. His Instagram handle is Strength Coach Therapy. His name is Dr. Teddy Wilsey. And uh, I kind of just cold emailed him out of the blue to see if he would be on my podcast. He's somebody that I followed for a long time and taken a lot of inspiration from with his rehab um, and prehab type of stuff that he does. He's a physical therapist, but he's also a strength coach. He's uh, interned back in the day when he was trying to be a strength coach. Primarily, he interned under Buddy Morris, who is an awesome strength coach, actually for the Arizona Cardinals now, but at the time he was out in the University of Pittsburgh. Um, so uh, Teddy got to intern under him and work with the Steelers back in the day. And I think that that really shows in his approach to rehab these days and the way that he likes to load up his athletes and get them back um, into playing shape. Um, I'm happy to say that I had a great conversation with him. Him and I really hit it off. Um, I feel like we made good friends along the way in this podcast. We talked about a bunch of stuff that I'm really interested in and really excited about, and I know you guys will be too. So uh, go ahead and give this a listen. Let me know what you think, and welcome my guest, Dr. Teddy Wilsey. Um, even though I wish it didn't, I wish they didn't look at coaching that way or personal training that way. Um, just because as you know, probably like if you just get a program off the internet, uh, you kind of roll the dice a little bit as to what's going to happen. So, um, I think I've always been a strong believer in, in individualization with training programs and, and trying to get people to buy into the, uh, the the mantra that coaching or, or resistance training coaching is more than just programming and writing things down in an Excel spreadsheet. Right, right. Uh, but now I'm having to double down on that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you think you think even though uh, it has the potential to maybe draw more people to online training, do you think that that could be balanced out by the fact that more coaches will do it too? So it might not impact your your bottom line. There's definitely that. Um, you know, I think what I've been chatting with a lot of people, I have, I used to live in Florida because I went to the University of South Florida. And right, I saw that. I, yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that still are out there. And I went, my degree program was kind of split. Some people that were in my degree wanted to be personal trainers, own a gym, something like that. And some of us wanted to do, um, maybe online training. And some of us wanted to maybe go on to academia or something like that. Yeah. So the people that I know that are in-person trainers or that have their own gym or CrossFit box or something like that, a lot of them now have been like calling me and asking, hey, you know, how do I do this online thing? How do I structure my day? And so I I think I don't mind that at all. I think that um, the cream will rise to the top always. So if there's more competition, whatever, that actually just brings more value to the client. But um, yeah, it's definitely, you never know. You like, if there's more competition, maybe a little bit harder to find you as a, as an individual. So we'll see. Right. Right. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, um, I wanted to have you on this podcast. Um, you know, uh, I'm always in the market or I'm, I'm always on the hunt for, talking to people who are experts in their field and have an expertise that's beyond mine. Um, obviously my background is in strength and conditioning, exercise science, um, nutrition and things like that. And you are on a, a very similar 
I would call parallel sort of universe in physical therapy, but I know you yeah. also have a background in strength and conditioning, and that's kind of where you started everything, um, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, and so absolutely. I wanted to have you on to chat about everything under the sun as far as physical therapy is concerned, as far as high performance is concerned, and just your experience with all of that. Um, so I guess we'll start off by introducing you. Um, if you could tell everybody your name um, and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Teddy Wilsey and I'm a physical therapist. Uh, I was, uh, like Andre said, I was a strength coach for a couple years before I went to physical therapy school. And so my mission for the past five years as a practicing therapist has really been to uh, blend those two disciplines in a way that I could bring strength and conditioning principles and uh, the ideas behind loading and progression and, and monitoring of stressors to more of a clinical setting. And uh, just trying to, you know, the, the term that's oftentimes used is bridging the gap. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, there's a lot of us out there now. I don't know if there were a lot of us out there eight or 10 years ago when I first really got interested in rehab and decided I wanted to go back to, to school for PT. So uh, yeah, it's been a growing profession and one that I'm really excited to be a part of. And uh, we're learning more every year and uh, just growing as a profession and, and learning how to work with athletes, because I think that's a place that PTs have underserved. That's a population that PTs have underserved a lot. So you've been practicing now for how long, you said? Uh, five years. Five years. And before then, um, you were, I, I think you mentioned you interned under Buddy Morris at some point. That was like the beginning, yeah, which is yeah. a hell of a start to strength <laughs> and conditioning. I know. So, I, I had no idea uh, how much I would have been, I was going to learn going into it. And I had no idea going coming out like, man, that might have wow. been the most influential four months of my professional development just because I was so green and uh, he was so experienced. And so, yeah. Well, was, at the time, where were you interning with him? Uh, at University of Pittsburgh. Okay. So I, yes, so I went to Pitt and I was an extra science major and our final semester of our program is a full-time internship. Okay. And you're supposed to get like, I don't remember what it was, like 280 hours or something for the semester you know, it average out to like a six, six hour a day. And which kind of seems like a lot when you're in college, cause you don't, you know, you're used to going to classes and whatever. I was down there in that facility for 10 to 12 hours, five days a week. Wow. 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 <laughs> and these guys, I mean, they just, you know, they had four, it was football only football only facility connected with the Steelers facility. Uh, so I was running into Mike Tomlin and all these guys every hmm. day. Uh, the Steelers had, uh, just or they were on their way to the Super Bowl. It was 2009, and um, yeah, so it was kind of like a starstruck moment for me, you know, as a as a 22 year old, and um, and then working with the the football team. They had a you know typical football strength conditioning group came in every every two hours, 20 25 guys, uh, two hour break or two and a half hour break in the middle of the day where we would train, and uh, that was you know part of where I learned a lot of what I learned because all the strength coaches and everybody, this whole staff loved to train too. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a great experience. I got to say, um, <laughs> that kind of, th that kind of experience right off the bat, it's like, that's what you dream about doing. Like when you, w w when I was going to school, I thought like, that's the dream would be to go work with athletes and to like right. be in that kind of environment. And you just kind of, you got that right off the bat. That's yeah. kind of crazy. I know. And it was at the school that I went to. I had no, I, I just thought, 
oh, it's a football team. I didn't know. <laughs> I was reading T Nation at that point. I was uh-huh. reading Elite FTS, but I didn't realize that Buddy was actually Coach X on Elite FTS. He was one of the Q&A contributors on, on Elite FTS back in the day. And uh, I just didn't know that I was walking into such an intense strength and conditioning environment, you know. So, yeah. Well, trial yeah, by was, fire, I guess. Great. Exactly. You got, to, you got to learn right away whether you're yeah. going to like it or not. Right. And you know, one, one of the cool things that was influential for me with that too was that Buddy did almost all of the rehab for the guys that were about three months out and on. Interesting. Uh, he worked with the athletic trainers and the athletic trainers would come to the sessions, but they had a really good rapport. And, you know, let's say a guy is four and a half months out from an ACL. He's doing speed work with Buddy, but they're talking about what they want from the speed work, what they want from the work to rest ratios, you know, in order to save him for what he needed to do. The number one priority at that time at four and a half months for an ACL is strengthening the leg first and foremost. Once they get all the, you know, once, once, you know, interference effect, you want to focus on strengthening first. And then once they get to a point where they're strong enough, then we get them in football shape. So, but they were having these conversations and they were, for me, it was just like, man, that's cool. And I, and I also, I was wondering, I'm like, how does he know how to do all this rehab stuff? And in hindsight, it was, it was just training them, but just mm-hmm. at appropriate workloads, appropriate intensities, and with certain constraints, like limited range of motion, limited, yeah. you know, so it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. That brings up a good point. Um, and something that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, well, at least within my realm of the fitness industry, which is online coaching, um, a lot of times I get people coming to me and um, maybe they don't tell me right off the bat that there's something nagging them or an injury that they have, but eventually, you know, something like that comes out and they almost expect me to do their rehab for them. They want me to give them their prehab. They want me to give them their physical therapy almost. Um, you as a physical therapist are trained on how to do that. But now more and more, it seems that like there's this, like you were saying earlier, there's this gap that needs to be bridged. But sometimes right. it's like the, the the athlete or the client doesn't know which one to go to, or maybe because they're already paying for a coach that they expect that it's going to be an all-in-one service. Mm-hmm. Where where do you fall on that? Like, where's the line between what a coach should be doing, what they should be referring to a physical therapist for? Do you does it frustrate you that some coaches try to take that <laughs> that responsibility yeah, when maybe yeah. they shouldn't? Where are you on all that? You know, I first of all, I think that the in the context of this conversation, it has to be, you have to already assume the coach is a good coach and they know what they're doing and they're managing things appropriately. And they're not just, you know, grab bagging the exercises on a week to week basis. Um, So there are a lot of coaches that still do that (laughs) to a certain extent. Yeah. But if we are already assuming that they are managing loads correctly, they're helping them progress or working through movement progressions. Um, where they should draw the line is when they have to start guessing Hmm. because as clinicians, we guess all the time, but we call it our clinical judgment. Right. And we're building that judgment through working with a lot of the same cases. So even though you are a very capable strength coach and you can absolutely help somebody with their knee and you can probably throw some TKEs and, you know, maybe, beef up their hips a little bit, maybe even do a test and see, look at their hip strength side to side, make sure their ankle mobility's in check. You know, I think all of those are appropriate conversations for coaches to have. Once you get past that 
and this person's still not responding. And then you start to guess and you start to Google and you start to look at old Kelly Sturette videos and <laughs> pull out voodoo floss bands and, yeah. you know, and, and the client asks you, what's the voodoo floss band doing? And you realize that you don't really know what it's doing, you know, cause I don't know what it's doing. It's, I could give you a fancy explanation and use sure. lots of long words, but you know, once you start to guess, that's the time where you, you toss them to somebody who's seen that a hundred times. Yep. Because their guessing is better than yours. <laughs> yep. And it's just, you know, we don't know everything, not by a long shot. PTs sure. get things wrong all the time. But we hopefully have a better shot of hitting, of hitting the target because we've been there before. You know, because yeah. I see people for pain a lot of times for four or five visits and they're gone. Mm-hmm. That's, and I helped them. And that's, very, that's a very different experience than coaching somebody that you've worked with for months, for years maybe. Because I have to see them assess quickly and make decisions. And, you know, I trust that coaches that work with somebody for a while, they know their bodies, they know how they respond, and they can help them work through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just that guessing line, I would say. I think going back to what you said with, with Buddy Morris, having dealt with a lot of the, the rehab stuff with his athletes that were getting, you said, close to returning to, to, to play, right? right? It's you know, people hear that and they think, well, I mean, then the strength coach can do that job too. But I, I would, I would challenge them to think about the years and years and years of experience that he had in working with those athletes. Athletes get injured all the time. Right. So, I mean, he's going to deal with these, these guys, whether he was starting in high school and then going to college and professional sports, eventually he's probably seen thousands of, of people returning to play. And so now he just knows. And a lot of the same injuries because he's been in football for a right. lot of his career. And he was, uh, he was with the Cleveland Browns before he was at Pitt and right. he got brought back to college. And then, you know, yeah, exactly. And so when you see the same thing as a clinician, that's, you know, young physical therapists don't know what they're doing because they haven't practiced yet. And we're still practicing all the time, but it's, a, it's the reps, man. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. I like that that answer that you gave. I know for me personally, um, I've had my own injuries. And so, you know, I've learned from physical therapists, my physical therapist here, that's local to me that I go to. I try to learn as much as I can. So when there's a guy that comes to me or a gal that comes to me who has a, a very uh, common, you know, like nagging little injury that I think, hey, um, I've seen that in myself. Or I've seen that in my athletes before. Let's try this. But and sometimes it works, but as soon as it gets to a point where it's like, oh, that didn't work, Ugh, that's not in my, my right. wheelhouse anymore. Right, and so right. then I try to find them a resource, maybe someone like yourself, or I think a lot of physical therapists do telemedicine now where I say, mm-hmm. hey, that's not, I'm not, I'm doing you a disservice to try and go outside of my scope on this one. And then what, what then for me is then a, it's a learning experience because then I try to work hand in hand with the physical therapist and figure out what the, what the issue might be. And then going forward, maybe now I have a better idea of what something else could be. Yeah. That's the, that's the ideal scenario. You know, when, when people aren't overworked, they have time to com- communicate, uh, you know, and have that interdisciplinary conversation. That's, that's where the learning really happens. I think for a lot of us. So, 
One interesting question to me, I guess, is I get sometimes is like, why should I go to a physical therapist or like, why should I hire a strength coach? They seem very much the same. Like for for somebody who has no education in exercise Mm -hmm. science or anything, they're just a a regular person who likes to work out. They can almost like, like the difference gets lost on people sometimes, you know, they think, well, if I go to a physical therapist, they can also be my strength coach. Right. And so (laughs) like, what, what is, I mean, you you are kind of like two in one because you do have that background in strength and conditioning and you then became a physical therapist. Like what to you is the same about physical therapy and strength coaching? I think earlier you mentioned like sometimes physical therapy is just lifting, but what's, what's the difference or sorry, what's the similarities and what's the differences? Yeah. Um, well, I think ideally you do, you find someone who can do both, you know, get you one who can do both, but, (laughs) but in the, um, in the, in terms of differentiating, you know, it's, it's really important to have differentiators. And this is something that I've had to um, work and I've had to work at and kind of evolve in my thinking because I, I started off my career as a therapist in a very traditional practice. And then I went and did my own thing at um, the strength and conditioning gym, which is where I've been for the past three and a half years. And so the first year and a half of my practice, I didn't have to really worry about differentiating myself. I wore a polo shirt and khakis and had the PT hmm. robot outfit on, but then, and I saw people clinically only. And, and then I go to this gym and uh, a lot of the, a lot of the coaches and trainers that I work alongside might see what I'm doing on a daily basis and think, Oh, that's, that looks more like strength and conditioning or like I could do that. And I mean, we have a relationship where they're not standing around thinking that, but that could happen. And I think that what they've grown, and so for me, it was important to be able to show them why they should recommend their clients come see me potentially if they need to, and how we can work together. And so where I, where I draw the line, and I think this is important from a business standpoint for physical therapy, where I draw the line is that if we're not making changes week to week and the person doesn't have an active injury process, um, so they're not recovering from a surgery, they're just they're just in pain or not anymore really. If, if we're not making changes and they're still managing something and it's slowly improving, I'm fine with discharging them or having them work with their coach more. And um, so what I work at, the way I work oftentimes is as a consultant. And I think that that's what physical therapists should really be doing. Uh, I think it works really well in a model where they work with coaches because they can help to put together the plan do the assessment part of it. And then the coaches can work that and talk to the coaches about, okay, these are the things we want to cross out right now because they're potential aggravating factors. Like, Hey, they're having a shoulder extension sensitivity. Let's reduce, um, let's take away a flat press and let's do an incline press instead so that their elbow doesn't go as far behind their body. Let's take away those dips that we started three weeks ago because they're having some anterior shoulder pain and let's instead let's do a a overhead triceps extension or whatever, you know? And so you can start to, if you start to work together, the physical therapist should be able to assess, figure out what are the specific aggravating factors and then kind of consult with the coach. And so that's where I think the difference is, whereas the coach does more of the maintenance and the smaller, smaller changes week to week, Got it. you know? And so, um, I think a lot of times for therapy, what the traditional model is, is, you know, you go the way the medical field likes to do it. You go twice a week for six weeks. That's it. 
I think if we work as a longer term consultant, we can help people more. Yeah. So I don't, I, from, you know, if somebody has surgery, it's different, but if somebody's just seeing me for shoulder issues, I work with a lot of, for these kinds of people, I work with a lot of like triathletes and people in their thirties, forties, fifties, um, you know, people that value their health, they have the the money to spend on it, potentially all that stuff. Uh, I work with them as like, they just kind of come see, come see me once every three months. And it's like, Oh, what's, you know, what's, what's ailing you now? It's somebody that they're training their whole body. They're, they're going to get stuff. And mm-hmm. so that's a good that's point. Where, yeah, that, That's a good point. I think people get this sense that they should never get injured at all, or they're never going to get right. injured if their training program is like perfect, quote unquote, right, perfect. Right. And that's just not the case, right? I mean, even even if we were going back to like hunter gatherer days, like you're going to pull us <laughs> pull a muscle or something like that yeah. every now and then. My physical therapist has a very similar way of doing things as you. His his goal is always to get the person out of that that pain that they're feeling that right. whatever, whether it's acute or if it's a, a lot of times he sees chronic pain people that are just like finally fed up of of the pain that they're feeling so they go to see him and that's kind of a whole different ball game as far as like yeah, maybe yeah. maybe there's nothing that needs surgery but they're having pain anyways it's like a movement pattern thing neurodynamics and all that kind of stuff but his goal is always hey like I'm not a I'm not the guy who's going to give you the training program that's going to get you bigger, stronger, faster, like you're wanting to get. I'm the guy that is coming in as a specialist to work out all the kinks that basically are preventing Mm -hmm. you from doing that in your training program. And then I get you, I I talk with your coach about what you need, what you can't do, what you can do. And he gets you going back on the right track. Right. Right. Um, I'm, I'll go ahead. I'm a movement interventionist, you know? And so when I work with people, I typically am showing them ways to improve the way they feel, the way they function through movement. And uh, it's because of what it is, you got to continue. You got to stick with it. And so the the people that I tend to work best with are the types that uh, value that, you know? And, and on the other end of it, there are a lot of physical therapists who do you know, I, I do dry needling sometimes. I do some of that. I don't, I've never done cupping. I don't see a big efficacy, efficacy there. Uh, but there are a lot of the physical therapists that that's a much more of their practice. You know, they're just kind of, they're working with people on a table. They're doing a lot of different manual stuff. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that uh, if that's part of the whole treatment, but that shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing um, mm-hmm. as a as a consumer. Like mm-hmm. you should be doing movement too. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, for me, I if you're, if you need that sort of stuff or you really like it, then that's a big differentiator from therapy to, to training, you know, because you're not going to get some of that stuff from the training. But, um, I interned in a, I interned in a, in a chiropractic office once and it was like kind of frustrating almost because it it didn't really do anything to like, they didn't move the people around. Like they just put them on a table they had like the same formula. They put them on the table, they put the stem on them, they put the, the heat and the ice and all that kind of stuff. And then they were like, all right, you feel better? All right, great. Yeah. I'll see you in two days or three days or whatever. And, and um, you know, that was like, I was like, what are you even doing? Like, you're just kind of, right. it's right. You're almost like placeboing people to, to feel better. Like, and you're not, how yeah. do you know that their movement is any better when they go home or anything like that? You're like, you're not fixing anything. So I agree with you that, I think those modalities of dry needling, say, can be helpful sometimes just to 
almost push people into feeling like, okay, we're getting some healing going. All right, now let's get you on the floor doing some deadlifts to see how that dry needling made you feel. Is it it really making a difference? And and usually it does. But um, is that kind of how you use it sometimes, just depending on if somebody's in really bad shape or something like that? Yeah. To be honest, I use it less and less uh, as I've I've progressed. I just don't, you know, people can kind of get addicted to it or view it as a crutch in a way. And I just, I, I've found a lot of success with uh, more kind of, you know, active approaches. Um, so, but yeah, if it, there are scenarios where, you know, um, super tight back muscles and spasm, that's one that dry kneeling can really help with. Yeah. Uh, occasional just like tendinopathy, soreness, but at the end of the day for tendons, it's contractile tissue and you got to train them. That's the number yeah. one thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, every time I used to use it more for muscle pulls than I do, you know, hamstrings, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of an interesting career progression and evolution. And, you know, when you're in this field, you have to be able to, to grow and, and, you know, take new information and change your opinions over time based on, based on what the research is telling you and dry needling is just not really holding up. What are the, you, I think you mentioned earlier, but what is the um like the, the main population you work with do you work with some, like a half half of your clients are trying to be professional athletes or like what 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 is the makeup of your of your clientele yeah i would i would say um 50% 50 to 60% of my clients are high school and college athletes okay and then 20 20 to 30% are your weekend warriors your your triathletes, your, uh, you know, um, and then 10 to 20%, the other part is your pro athletes. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, there's just not as many pro athletes on, on the earth. And so you don't see as many of them, but that actually is, you know, we, we get a decent amount of, of them, uh, just because of, you know, there's people forget there's a lot of other professional sports besides basketball and football. And so, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. So we, so we see quite a few uh, people that, you know, soccer players, people that play in Europe, uh, uh, international basketball players. So, yeah. How, how is training or how is therapy for your younger guys who are, um, you know, high school and college athletes versus these weekend warriors or even professional athletes? How are they, how is it different? Is, is it different? Is it, um, is it, you know, especially I guess more with the weekend warriors versus the athletes themselves, is there a difference in the way you have to treat those kinds of patients? Yeah, that's a good question. So like the, the, Weekend warriors, the adults, those are the ones that see me more as a consultant. They see me and and that's the intervention that I want that I think is going to have the most effect with them because it's typically for pain. Those aren't the people that are rupturing their ACLs and, and pulling their hamstrings on like a grade three out for two months. You know, those are the people that, oh, my hamstring's been achy. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a different kind of injury. Um so those are the people that I, I kind of, you know, some of them I'll see once a week if I really think that we need to, to hit it and hit the ground running with whatever their intervention is. But uh, more often I'm, you know, I was joking around with my wife the other day. I was like, uh, I, I said, I would, I'm never going to be a good, you know, physical therapy business owner. Cause I always tell my patients that they're fine and I don't need to see them for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, well, I think it's worked so far. Cause I have, I've, grow in the practice and have two therapists working for me to, or working with me. Awesome. So congrats. Um, 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so, you know, Instagram and, and all that is, has definitely helped out. And, and, you know, I teamed up with some strength coaches in this area that have, a, that spent a long time building a really good reputation for themselves too locally. And so uh, we've been able to, to thrive together, but for, you know, for a lot of those weekend warriors, it's the consultant for the younger athletes. It's the twice a week. And um, you know, if they're in pain, it's more consultant based. Whereas if they have a, acute injury that they need to see me we're seeing them more often and i'm doing that's those are the people that it looks much more like a strength and conditioning session because once i get rolling with them and we have our plan we're not assessing and i mean you're always assessing when you're working with people but we're not like shifting every every session you know we're doing a lot of the same stuff we're we're loading the same patterns that might be loaded for an athlete who is injury free. We're loading the lunge patterns, the hinge patterns, the the squat pattern, the, you know, the push, the pull. So it's, it's a lot of the same stuff, but like I said earlier, just, you know, with the different, different parameters and a little more careful attention to movement. When you're working with those guys, the athletes that you're seeing a little bit more often, mm-hmm. um, how do you manage so this is one thing that I'm very interested in is load management, fatigue management, um, knowing, you know, when to push people a little bit more versus pulling back a little bit more, depending on what they're doing in their training, or, or especially for these guys, it would be uh, managing their playing schedule and practice schedule and things like that. Do you keep track of any of that kind of stuff? If so, how do you manage that kind of stuff within your practice now, since, since you are seeing them a little bit more often? Yeah. Yeah. So, so from a situational standpoint, I deal with this more with high school athletes. Reason being college athletes, I'm typically seen during the summer and they are not at their school. So there's not a lot of other stressors to really worry about. Whereas the high school athletes, they're on multiple teams, usually in different seasons, typically in the same sport, typically extremely specialized, uh, especially in this area. And um, they have a lot of different things pulling at them. You know, they've, they're, they have immature brains. They've got, they think that their recruiters and college and all that is the, the most important thing in their life, you know, and then their parents, they have their own opinions too. And so, um, with them and in terms of like, I have some kids that like their parents will still want them to train when I don't want them to, you know, mm. like it's, dude, just, dude there are some it's intense. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so with them, the thing that I try to do is empower them and teach them and, and get them to start tracking and logging what they're doing. Sometimes I'll even like open up like a a spreadsheet of my training. I'll say, look, this is what I do. And I'm like, look, I don't expect you to do this. So you don't need to write down everything you do, Yeah, but I want you to make a calendar and, you know, I'll have them, this is, I'll give you an exact example of a a girl I was working with coming off a ACL last year. I I had her make a calendar and every single day she wrote down the activities that she did that were movement based. And then she wrote down uh, a one, two or three for how she felt at the end of each day. And, um, and we kind of, and then we talked about, so we, you know, we had it broken down where she was doing three strength sessions a week, three soccer skill specific sessions a week two conditioning sessions a week. And then, you know, and it was changing over time. Like it started with more strength, kind of like I was talking about earlier, started with, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in the ACL process, started with more strength, less conditioning, more, you know, 
first you build out the conditioning, then you kind of pull that back, get them into soccer skills. Once they can start changing direction, making those decisions, then you build it. So I would, you know, and I'd be like, look, we have now, and I would really kind of involve her in the process. This worked really well for her because she had a nasty injury. She basically, she, her knee hyperextended to 90 degrees. Oh, she almost dislocated her knee. Wow. Yeah. She was, yeah, she plays attack and she got slid. She basically ran, got her legs caught up with the defender and they, and uh, yeah. And um, what what happened structurally? uh, she had what's called a posterior lateral corner injury okay. where you tear the posterior lateral corner of your joint capsule of your knee. Okay. And then you tear typically your LCL, your ACL Ouch. and your uh, lateral meniscus. Mm. And after those injuries, you're usually in an immobilizer brace for six weeks so that the joint capsule can rebuild and scar. They don't want it stretching too early. And so, yeah. uh, yeah. So, so she was a long rehab. It was a 16 month ACL rehab. Wow. I don't know if you saw the, there was a documentary uh, of Alex Smith, the Redskins quarterback that had that really nasty mm. leg injury last year. I, I didn't see the documentary, but yeah. again, I'm familiar so, with the injury. So Alex Smith's surgeon is like one of the best known orthos in the area. And this girl went to her. Like oh, she's, okay. she's like a boss. So boss she's like, the she, she does all the hard cases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, Dr. West. And so shout out to Dr. West. And so, so yeah, so Dr. West um, did a great job with her. And so, so she just had constant swelling and issues and we had to, and you know, at the end of the day, it came down to load management and to answer your question, long answer to a short question, I empower the athlete and have them track stuff and help them to develop their internal feedback mechanism via discipline. Wow. Because, you know, you make a, I made a joke on my Instagram story the other day. I was like weighing some of my food and I was like, they, you know, I was like, they tell me, to, they tell you to eat intuitively, dot, dot, dot. Like intuitively, I want a burger and fries. Uh-huh. And so like for her, I'm like, you, I can't just tell this girl. Yeah. It's all well and good to be like, listen to your body. But it's like, no, she has to, yeah. this is a division one athlete who has to put together nine different movement sessions throughout the week. Like she's going to lose track of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you had 10 minutes each one of those sessions, you're doing an extra session and a half at the end of the week. It's like, right. so you gotta, you gotta think about that stuff. So yeah, man, that's a big part of what I do. And you know, I, I, it's part of like my kind of my, the fabric of my being. I love teaching. I love, I love empowering people. And uh, when these athletes learn this stuff and then they, you know, they'll, we just stay in touch over the years and I uh, love working with these kids and, and they all, a lot of them really, really realize it. And they're like, man, that was really helpful. Like, I'm still thinking about that stuff. Yeah. That, that's um, that. I love that. I love what you said because a lot of people think that you need all this crazy technology these days, the whoop strap, right, right, aura right. ring, all this stuff to, to tell you whether or not you're ready to train or whatever. And what I found, and actually there's a, a good friend of mine, his name's Daniel Bove. He's the uh, sports scientist for the Phoenix Suns. And he's, he's pretty experienced by this point as far as sports science is concerned. And one thing that he always tells me is it's like the simple things are sometimes yeah. just the most effective things. Yeah. Despite all the technology that he's gotten to work with, he's still one of the main things he does is just like track RPE and session duration and things like that. And that right. gives him such great insight, not only for himself, but like you said, for the athlete or for the client to kind of have some awareness over what right. they're actually doing. Cause sometimes, and I see this more so with 
I'll try to parallel this with like my nutrition clients is that they just don't have it. It's like you were saying earlier, like tracking macros or tracking your food. Um, they don't have an awareness of what they're actually doing every day. They don't right. realize that they took 10 trips to the refrigerator to get a quick snack, but they didn't even, they thought, Oh, it's just a bite of this. It's no big deal. But the same thing could be true about training. It's like, um, you know, how often are you exposing yourself to some sort of, even if it doesn't seem like a lot as an athlete, they're used to constantly moving. Right. So like they might do something, play a game of pickup basketball and they don't realize like they're going pretty hard in that game, even though yeah, it's kind of just yeah. fun to them. Yeah. But, but they got to keep track of some of that stuff sometimes. Yeah. I had a, I had a basketball player that I work with. Um, it was probably the other like pretty challenging, like long, you know, year plus case I've seen recently where uh, we did the same exact thing and, you know, it doesn't work for everybody too. It doesn't yeah. work. Not everybody's going to buy in and, uh, you, it takes the relationship building over time to realize or to, to figure out whether this is somebody that is going to be willing to do that, you know? Yeah. So I know that you, um, I don't know if you coined the term, but you definitely have made the term pretty popular as far as prehab. <laughs> so, so you, and I believe Dr. Jacob Harden have like a whole course you teach on prehab, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, so, so when you think about prehab, you know, a lot of people these days are really interested in injury prevention. Um, how can I do things that are going to make sure that I don't get injured? Do you look at prehab as, as that like a, a injury prevention or do you look at it more of just like a priming the system to be able to train really hard and not maybe put you in danger in the danger zone of, of, you know, exposing yourself to too much intensity or something like that. How do you look at prehab? Yeah. I mean, so, um, props to Jacob. So Jake, so Jake put together that whole course and he actually reached out to me to, uh, teach with him and to be an assistant. And so I, uh, the first one I did with him, I, I went there mostly to listen, but he was still nice enough to pay me. And, uh, you know, I I, I helped out out to Jacob. (laughs) Exactly. And I helped out on like the breakout sessions. But then I, I did one or two more with him and I just love the material. And I was like, dude, what if I, I was like, you know, people reach out to me. What if I just did this on my own? And and we just kind of grew it a little bit. And so that's, that's what I did. I haven't, uh, I actually have, it's been almost uh, just over a year since I did one, but I did like, I don't know, we did like eight or nine of them. So it was, yeah, it was a good, good little run. And I know he still wants to do one, do them, but obviously with the situation right now, there's no right. traveling and teaching. Sure. But uh, yeah, one of the, you know, um, Jake and I connected a, a couple of years before we ever did this and I knew his thought processes and everything. And I knew he's one of the, one of the smartest guys in the industry in the rehab industry he really is. Um, I, I had total confidence in what he was going to do, but a lot of people look at prehab as just like, let's throw in this hip mobility movement at the beginning, or let's throw in this banded clamshell or shoulder external rotation. But what he, you know, he kind of used prehab as the clickbait because what he really wants to teach people is uh, the the mindset and the idea behind managing and like what you said, managing stressors, loads, and the idea that we can't prevent any sort of injury, but we can reduce the likelihood significantly through mindful programming, training, et cetera. And so that's really what I view prehab as. Uh, you know, prehab, I think the a lot of people say that the term was initially 
created to describe what you do before surgery. So, um, you know, studies on ACLs, for example, show that for if it's a stable knee, so it's not like the girl I was telling you about, if it's a knee that was not completely mangled, unfortunately, um, studies show that four to six weeks of exercise for uh, ACL can actually speed up the recovery on the back end because they're not going in completely, you know, with completely atrophied muscles. And, yeah. uh, and I think it's more of a nervous system effect, actually, in terms of that's kind of my guess based on lots of other research with cross effect training and how the nervous system responds and, you know, but, but regardless, cause people lose that quad contraction and that's a nervous system thing, you know? Okay. And so, but regardless of that prehab was initially termed for that. And then people started to say, okay, well maybe that can just be prevention of rehab. And so I think that's the way a lot of people use it these days is like, how can we prevent rehabilitation? And by, pre- I don't know, I guess the kind of the word Smith of it, if you're preventing rehabilitation, you're preventing injury. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think that it's really helpful to know specific interventions, all these different hip mobility movements, all these different shoulder strengthening, you know, um, improving your the movement through your T-spine, making sure your, your ankles are flexible for squatting, you know. It's really good to know all of these things, but um, sometimes they're overused because people are just like, you know, throwing shit against the wall. And yeah. so it's, um, yeah, from a prehab standpoint, we were like, our, our teaching points were kind of day one is like, yeah, focus on how do you train properly? How do you put these loads together? How do you put these intensities together and, and, and change over time, teaching people, reminding them about multivariable progressions and all these different things and, and, you know, RIR, RPE, et cetera. And then day two was more of a, okay, so now let's talk about individual body parts and how we maybe offload one body part to load another one, train around something versus train through it, you know? And so. That's really What's your opinion on, on, um, modalities like PRI, DNS, these kinds of different things that have come out. Right, I mean, right. do you use these in, in your practice from time to time? Do you like to use them as any kind of prehab? Do you think that a lot of them are kind of the same thing, just reiterated in a different way? Like where, <laughs> where are you on all that? Yeah. You know, um, I'm a cynic and a skeptic first and foremost. Yeah. And, uh, I've taken three PRI courses. Um, I, my first job, I, my boss, actually, I don't think he was PRC, but there were two or three PRCs and he did a lot of PRI. So that's just their certification, which is a really yeah. intense one. I mean, I think you have to do like 12 courses and then go out there for like three different weekend exam. What like they have a, it's super stringent. There's like less, Bro, than, there's like less much. than a thousand PRCs in the country. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I, and so like three of them were at my clinic. So to say they drank the Kool-Aid would be an understatement. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that when you go down any, any of these things too deep into the rabbit hole, you are going to get lost and you're going to forget about everything else that's outside of it, you know? And so, um, there's, there's a lot of value in learning some of the fundamental ideas behind each one of these things, but you got to understand too. I mean, being somebody that's taught courses myself and had people say, are you guys going to do a level two? Are you guys going to, you know, it's a business and these people are trying to sell tickets, man. And if they can say, Hey, look, these people, if they can say, look, if we can sell an eight series pack, like look at John Russell, he he went and did his pain-free performance specialist. Like, what does that mean? Pain-free performance specialist. That's, you know, you're selling your, that's called a snake oil salesman Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. 
And so I think a lot of shots, shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot, I think a lot of the certifications in that people offer are kind of snake oil. And I think that it's not necessary, you know, so I've, I personally have not been interested in trying, I haven't even considered it for a second, trying to make my own certification or anything like that. But I, I could, anybody could. Sure. (laughs) It's a, it's, you know, so, but, but in terms of those, and so I kind of got off on a little rant there, but in terms of those, I love it. In terms of those specific modalities, PRI has really good, interventional and assessment information regarding the lumbopelvic region and regarding shifting of the hips, recruitment of the adductors. Uh, I have learned tons of techniques from them that I use for low back pain, that I use for groin strains, hamstring strains, learning about the extensor, the kind of the global extensor mechanism pattern of the body and how it tends to take over and the value of finding that ribs down position and changing your infraternal angle and actually not just extending through everything. I've learned a ton from there. So, you know, I, I love education. I love continuing education and I just, I'm tired of it all being this big rabbit hole. You know, it's like, just teach us a couple cool things and then let's move on to the next one. (laughs) That speaks to me just of your, like the mindset that you have, I would assume is just like everything is a tool in the toolbox, right? There, right, right. There's no one thing that you can say is going to be the end all be all. Yeah. Uh, whether it be physical therapy, whether it be training, right? Because I think the same, I went through this early on in my coaching or in my lifting career, I guess you could say, where you like, I loved powerlifting. I still love powerlifting. I love training that way. But there was a point in time, I don't know, six years ago or something like that, where like you start to drink the Kool-Aid, like you said, you're like, right. man, power, everybody should be powerlifting. It's the yeah. best way to train. And and then somewhere along the way, you realize like, no, not everybody can do that. Like if you get a seven foot basketball player, that dude shouldn't be right. powerlifting, right? He just, yeah. he should be doing other things. Get this and guy a bar and a rear foot elevated Swiss Exactly. Pad. And let's let's keep them healthy. Right. Same thing with uh, you know, we get somebody who has some mobility issues getting down to deadlift from the floor. Let's get him a trap yeah. bar, right? Yeah, you exactly. know, it's just there's there's always these tools in the tool belt. And so like I, I think I right. went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with PRI and DNS and all these things too. So, and I think so you, when you, so you knew what I was talking about there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You you get caught up because it's the yeah, new yeah. shiny object and you want to use it all the time. And it's just like anything. You get excited about yeah. it. But then yeah. the more actually I took those courses or the more I learned about them, the more I just realized, yeah, there is, I mean, at the end of the day, when somebody creates something like this, there's going to be a certain amount of money they need to make from it because right. that's their job. Right. It's their, they've created it as a product to make money. And so, um, you know, they're going, and it's, it's that way with everything. I, sometimes I get frustrated, like with the NSCA even, and they might like ban me now, but for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, dude, why? Like, there's a lot of money I'm paying into the NSCA right now. And like, I'm not, I, I learned from their publication and stuff like that, but it's like, wait a minute. Like, I think a lot of this sometimes is just to make some money. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, um, yeah. Not to say there's not value in it, right? But, but sometimes it is a money thing, um, unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, hopefully, the 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 goal would be to create something where you can make a little bit of money off of it, but you're not so invested in it that you are like losing yeah. sight of what's really important. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I'd love to make a certification, like somehow working like a nihilistic idea, like the like the nothing works certification you know, or something. <laughs> it's that'd be really fancy. You'd have to get really fancy about the way you because you'd have to hide that. That'd be like the last yeah. lesson. Right, right. So the, la- the last slide would be like you're by gonna the way. leave you're gonna leave here realizing you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There will just be my, no, nothing you can apply on Monday. <laughs> just, inc- just like basically mind fuck everybody. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So I think that that's a good segue into another thing I wanted to talk about, which is, and, I, and you touched on this when we first started talking is just like the spending time with people, the um, psycholo- psychological aspect of things. I think people underestimate that kind of stuff when it comes to even, you know, movement and physiology. How, how have you found that psychology and mindset and working on that kind of thing with your clients has helped them progress physically? Yeah, it's, uh, I've found it to be extremely powerful. I would say that it's also very challenging to figure out how to use you know, um, physical therapists have to be therapists. Uh, it's not just physical. Um, earlier in, in my understanding of this, I tried to, I think I tried to provide people with maybe like false promises, uh, about their pain and and movement and, and tried to, you know, are you familiar with ideas of pain science and some of of what people, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So, so there early in the, uh, in, early in the understanding of pain science, a lot of PTs would try to explain to people that their pain could potentially not be all structural. And what that does is makes people in turn think that you're telling them they're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, uh, nine months into trying this as a physical therapist, I was like, this isn't really working. <laughs> and so, and I worked in the clinic where we saw, I saw a lot of people with pain. It was, uh, uh, you know, the, it was physician known and they did like cortisone injections. And so it was physiatrists and it was, that was our primary population. And so it's all like probably 50% of my caseload was neck and back pain. I'm trying to tell these people, I'm trying to give them hope. I'm trying to tell them, Hey, look, there might not be something structurally wrong with you. And, uh, you know, you're going to be able to get over this. And they're like, well, if there's nothing wrong with me, then what do I fix? (laughs) Yeah. And so therein lies the problem because the physician and the structural model will tell people there's something to fix. They'll point at a screen and they'll say, this is here, this is herniated here, and this will, you know. And so um, fast forward, I don't touch that stuff at first. I try to really get to know the person and what their tolerance is going to be for uncertainty. And then that is how I decide how much uncertainty I want to introduce to them because uncertainty can give you a pathway forward or backwards, depending on your psychological makeup, your coping strategies and how you're ready to handle it. And so, uh, you know, perfect, uh, perfect example, gym owners right now in, in this environment of COVID, are they trying to think about how to improve their gym when they come back? Are they trying to think about, oh, maybe now's the time to make some physical remodels inside my gym, you know, if, if I can afford it? Or are they people who are, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say mentally weak. That's, I don't, I don't think, I don't think in terms of dichotomies like that, but are they people that are struggling a little bit more in their coping strategies, you yeah. know? And so 
it's the same with patients and it's the same with working with people. So from a psychological perspective, I really try to get to know the person that I'm working with. And then that helps me decide what type of intervention from a talking standpoint I can do with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, some people I might not introduce much uncertainty at all because I never need to, because their recovery is pretty linear. Other people, I have to kind of remind them, look, we don't know that much. Like we're, we're figuring this out together. Like, you know, get them on board. And, and so, you know, I think there's a way as a practitioner that you can remind your, your people that you're working with that although you don't know everything, you still know as much as like, you know, you still know as much as anybody else in your field. Like you're, uh, there's a way that you can express humility and still show, you know, uh, competency. And right. that's, that's really something that I try to focus on with people. If they're not having great outcomes, if they're going to fall into that psychological trap, if they're not, if they're struggling with their habits, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm always trying yeah, to Yeah. That is a, a fascinating topic for me. The whole pain science thing. I know for me going into what I do, there's a lot of psychological component in, in what I do, um, because the, the X's and O's, the programming, the, the training program that I give people, I mean, if I'm honest, there's a lot of people that can do that. I'm not, there's no, I have no qualms about saying that I have no uh, fantasy that I'm like this savant of programming or anything like that, but it's that relationship. It's the experience that I have in being able to tell them and give them advice on what to do when they're having hard days in the gym or when something's not working or whatever it would have you. That's like a big part of coaching. And that's a big part of what you do, I guess, as well, mm-hmm. being the therapy side of things, quote unquote. Um, but for me, uh, let's dive a little bit more into that pain science stuff because that's really yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. I, I I love it. Um, I, so one thing that frustrates me sometimes, I, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. I love I love listening to his podcast. And yeah. so, um, you know, he's super. He's a smart guy, and he's got a lot of people that he's had on the podcast that are very smart. But when it, when he starts talking about training sometimes, or when he starts talking about injuries, like I, that's when I get a little frustrated. Which yeah. I guess that's probably what happens to everybody when they when he starts talking about their field of expertise. <laughs> but, uh, like yesterday, he was talking about he had somebody on the podcast, and they were saying, "Yeah, my back hurts sometimes when I squat, and I think I have like sciatica or something like that." And he was like, "Yeah, you should get an MRI because I think you have a bulging disc." And I was like, no. Yeah, that's not the first. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the first step of care. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, you know, and then he starts saying, yeah, you got to use the reverse hyper and the belt squat. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that's not bad. Maybe that could be good. That's Louis Simmons right there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so, (laughs) but that's an interesting thing, right? Because there are so many people who have, who could get an MRI right now on any body part and have something show up as being structurally wrong and they have no pain at all. And then on the flip side, you could MRI somebody who has intense pain in their lower back or their knee and nothing looks wrong structurally. Um, So what do you think is going on there or or what have you read or what have you learned maybe over, over your time that that could be going on with that? You know, I, I try to remind people that MRI wasn't really used uh, clinically until the 90s, whereas yeah. we've had 
x-rays and radiographs since the 1800s. And so uh, 1990s versus 1800s, you know, just really reminding it's 110 plus years. And so we're still really trying to figure out how, you know, from a scientific standpoint, how valid the data is that we're getting from MRIs. Yeah. You know, is it actually telling us what a pain causing structure looks like? How do we know what a pain causing structure looks like? It looks, right. you know, an MRI of a 70 year old shoulder is going to show a lot more. You're going to see tears in the labrum, tears in the rotator cuff, bone spurs that you're not going to see in a 20 year old shoulder. But that 70 year old might bench, you know, might be jacked and not have any pain. Like you just don't know. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of new information coming out about this. And if you think about the, again, from a research standpoint, you think about the, what it takes to do these studies, you're telling the MRI people or whoever, like, Hey, we, you know, we want to do this to prove your system wrong. We want to prove the medical system wrong. And we want, or you're telling the IRB if you're trying to get this study through, you know, uh, and, and it's going to cost money and we just have this hunch. And so, it took a while for these to start happening. Now it's happening with sham surgeries too. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a famous study from the VA where uh, they did a sham surgery where they, they did the act your, the arthroscopic holes. You know, they, they, they did the portals. They went in with arthroscopy, but all they did was clean people out. Uh, And then the other half got the real surgery. So sham versus, you know, sham surgery, placebo versus real results were the same Hmm. for, for, degenerative meniscus cleanup surgeries you know and so then you watch football on sunday and they're like oh he got a knee clean up and he's back in three weeks and you know that's a little bit different because these are high performing athletes and they're like well-oiled machines and every little thing does matter with them and maybe the placebo effect is what helped get them back but whatever you know that's a worthwhile investment for that team (laughs) and so right uh but when it comes to old when it comes to regular folks like me and you you know, it's, there are adverse events related to surgery every day and surgery should not be taken lightly. And so when you go back to MRIs and and pain science and this whole idea, it's like, we want to tell these people, Hey, look, number one there, if you can introduce that uncertainty, there is a way out of this because we don't know for sure that what you're seeing on the picture is actually what's wrong with you. And number two, surgery is a really big deal and you shouldn't, and it doesn't necessarily always help. And so, you know, you want to wait to go down that route and try to figure this out. And at the end of the day, if you can make like lifestyle interventions with people that you would do anyways, then a lot of times you can help them a lot significantly, you know, and the other, the other piece that like, I didn't really touch on the psychology, but you did right after, uh, right after I spoke about, you know, some of the ideas behind trying to figure out individual people is the intervention. There is behavioral change at the end of the, you know, and that's what we want to do. And so, um, behavioral change is going to be a part of any intervention that's going to help people to improve the quality of their life. And um, that's, you know, that is the single most important thing. And so with pain science, I, I definitely educate people on some of those ideas. Excuse me, excuse me. But I, but I try to do it in a way that I'm teaching them or expressing to them the uncertainty behind it, but still telling them, you know what I, you know what I am certain about? That if you get stronger and you start to move better, you'll feel better. You know what I yeah. am certain about? That I've seen a lot of other people with this before. And this isn't the way I think because I'm thinking more research, not anecdotes, but people learn through stories. 
I'll tell mm-hmm. them I've seen somebody like this before last year and they got better in, you know, I don't yeah. make false promises, but it's like, that's knowing how to communicate with people is the best way to, cause really Eric Mira is a physical therapist in Portland, Oregon. And he, I think he said that pain science is just showing that you give a shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. That's a good way to put it's, it. Uh, yeah. No. I was just about to say, and you kind of just answered the question that I had come up with in my head is how would, how do you reconcile then? Like when somebody comes in and maybe, you know, you, you're kind of alluding to the fact that not all of their structural damage could be um, causing the pain or, or that structural damage in general, maybe not even causing the pain. And it's like you were saying earlier, they might start to think that they're crazy. Like you're saying that they're right. crazy for being in pain. Like if, if somebody, if, if somebody gets that idea that, okay, pain is really, um, complicated, like the, the structural damage that the MRI shows on my knee, maybe not even causing pain and stuff like that. And maybe start, they maybe start to feel like a little hopeless. Like, well, right, so right. if this isn't causing my pain, like what is, like, what can I do? If, if, if surgery isn't going to fix it, then what will fix my pain, you know? Right. Um, and so I think that that's really important, what you brought up about. And, and it's like you said, we as practitioners or, or as coaches or whatever, we are used to looking at things analytically through um, research and hard facts and science and data, but that's not how our clients look at things. They look at things emotionally, anecdotally, and things like that. Yeah. And so rather than saying, well, you know, research shows this, 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 and this, to say something like, you know what? I saw a person just like you last year. They came in, we worked together, they got better. So that gives them hope because now yeah. they're like, oh, wow. So, the, so what this guy is doing has worked for other people. And I'm not like this weird anomaly that he's never seen before. Like I'm normal. Right. 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 So those yeah. are sort of maybe some, um, I like to call them Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. Just like little I, that things. Was, that was what you had written on the, on the doc. Yeah. Look at that from, yeah. to prep for this. And yeah, I, yeah. I love that. Then that's, that my Jedi mind trick is just showing people like reassuring people that they're in good hands and I know what I'm doing. And exactly. you know, it's, I, I tell people this, I think I said this to somebody yesterday even cause it was my second visit with the guy. Um, you know, I was like, I was like, just to let you know, I'm going to be kind of on and off my computer. I've got like a little cart that we I carry around the gym and the clinic and you know, I'll leave it one place. I don't, it's not next to me the whole time, but I'm, I'm tracking what we're doing. And I tell them, you know, I want, I tell them from the beginning, I'm like, I want you to let me know how you feel, remember how you felt, and we're going to look at what we did. And that's going to give us a good idea of where we can push up or pull back a little bit. And so, you know, this comes, this is kind of the precursor to teaching them and to helping them to plan everything out because I'm already telling them, this is my thought process. This is how we're going to help you feel better. Yeah. Yes. I might observe that they have crappy pronation and too much tibial internal or too much pronation, too much tibial internal rotation, whatever. Like, and we start talking about all these different, you know, joint forces and then getting super complex with biomechanics. And maybe I'm trying to cue them to get out in and out of positions that make them move better. But I try to not get them too caught up on that. So the, the education that I share with them more often is based on load management, because I think that's something that they can also use themselves in the long run. Yeah. You know, That's so awesome. this is one thing that PRI people do that drive me nuts. And this is what really mm-hmm. drove me away from it is they talk to their patients way too much about biomechanics. Yeah. Yeah. 
and people you can almost you can almost like get people nuts, to start dude. feeling pain that they don't even that they didn't yeah. even have before by saying oh you know what you've got too much anterior pelvic tilt and now all of a sudden they got back pain you know let me I'll tell you a quick quick little story speaking of anecdotes i have a buddy of mine who played uh d1 football and um he's an undersized linebacker and he now is an avid tennis player he's like super skinny now he's like a buck 90 like oh wow uh he's just i mean he's a great he's a good athlete and he's a good tennis player and he just loves it and uh he's been dating a girl who's a pri therapist and i've worked with him on and off uh for years because after his college you know he had acl in college and then since then he's always been an active guy uh, a big workout guy and so uh you know we just uh i I practice in the area that I grew up in outside of DC. And so we, I got friends from high school and so we keep in touch and, and uh, he and I hop on a virtual call uh, about a month ago and he's telling me about all these different things that are wrong with him and what's going on. And I was like, dude, who have you been talking to? I'm dating this girl. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, do you, does she do a thing called postural restoration? He was like, yeah, that's what she does. And I, wow. It was like the narratives that he, it was, I knew it didn't come from his brain. I knew yeah. that he had, you know, a virus, a virus, <laughs> how does a virus work? It goes into somebody and then plants within them, you know, whereas yeah. a bacteria has its own DNA. And yeah. so like he implants, he, he had this, this PRI RNA implant inside of him and take a, take him over. And now he thinks he has all these things wrong with him. Oh my God. He's like, dude, I've been standing like this for years. And he said something about something he's been doing for years with his posture. And I was like, where'd you go there? Uh, looks like lost you for a second there. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that oh, was me good. or you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, probably me actually. Sometimes they've been working on, um, I'm at my house, obviously they've been working on this house next door and every now and then they'll do something and it like knocks my internet connection off for like oh, three okay. seconds. So anyways, keep going with what you were saying. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, so, so yeah, so he, you know, he got infected by the PRI virus and he, yeah. he had all these narratives that he was trying to fix um, on himself. And he also was led to believe, and I think that the, a lot of these people are well-intentioned, but they don't realize maybe the, the harm that they're doing. And, and yes, it's mm-hmm. a little hyperbole. Like they're still, these, you know, I'm not going to say that they're like the worst people in the world, but it's frustrating because I feel like they set people, they set their patients back. Uh, yeah, sometimes you can like overanalyze and overpoint yeah. things out, right? I mean, I yeah. and that's something I was about to ask is sometimes I'm sure you have people come in and you assess them and you notice some things that are maybe not 100% optimal about their movement. Right. But I'm sure that you don't go around telling them, hey, I noticed you have this, 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 and this. That's all wrong. Because yeah. like it, I think ultimately, and correct me if I'm wrong, but ultimately it only matters if it's causing an issue or if it's right. like causing a performance decrement right right other than that it's like you got to toe that line of i guess if you had something really egregious where you're like man he i gotta i gotta fix that or else he's gonna snap his knee or something like that but right um yeah i agree with you and that's funny that you you refer to pri as <laughs> like a virus so pri is like the covid yeah. of Exactly. Trading and all that kind of stuff in a way. <laughs> Once people um, get infected, it, it, it influences everything they do. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so last thing I want to talk, talk about, I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, you are 
I mean, you, I'm fascinated with high performers, and in my in my estimation, you're a high performer with everything that you do. You're a physical therapist that owns his own practice, so you have people underneath you, so you have employees. Um, you kill it on social media, and so that that in of itself is like a full time job that I'm learn I'm learning that it's like a full time job. So. Uh, props to you for that. Um, on how many DMs you respond to? Oh my gosh! Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine at my at, at where I'm at versus where you're at. I don't even know where what like that 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 thing must never get empty it's, for you. It's a, it's a dark hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to know from you it's a lot of with a lot of great people inside of it. To be honest, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to know from you what is it that drives you to to be good at so many different things, because those are a lot of different hats to wear, whether it be what you're doing with social media or YouTube or anything like that, whether it be working with your clients and your patients, whether it be owning the clinic, being the boss, helping out your your fellow um, you know employees and 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 things like that, whether it be mm-hmm. teaching the courses with Dr. Jacob Harden and doing the prehab stuff, what what drives you? Is it is it your passion for all of this stuff? Is it just a work ethic that you've had instilled in you from your dad or something like that? Like what what drives you in that in those areas? Man, I the simple answer is that I'm just really passionate about movement and exercise. And I think that's the, like the, the fundamental building block that this has all come from, but uh, thank you very much, by the way, that was very complimentary and I appreciate it. Speaking the truth. But uh, you know, I, I've been, this is why I'm passionate about behavioral change too, because I just, I, I know that, most people aren't going to feel the way I do about exercise and movement. And so I I'm trying to get them to come halfway, you know, because I, I know that for me, I just, I don't know, man, I have this innate love for exercise. I've just always been into it. I've been fascinated about it since I was a little kid and, you know, using some dumbbells that my parents had laying around the house and, um, picking up like a, a strength training book in middle school, you know? And so, um, Uh, I've always loved that. And then in terms of the work, you know, it's, I listened for a lot of years before I started to put stuff out. And I think that was a really important part of my personal growth because I took kind of a long path. I didn't finish graduate school until I was 29. Wow. Uh, I didn't start posting online until I was 31. Um, You know, I, I guessed, I guessed wrote a blog on, Brett Contreras' website back in like 2009. And I interned with a guy named Nick Tuminello, who was a oh, big okay. nation writer and um, yeah. in the area after I worked with Buddy Morris. And so I had a lot of, and Nick was who connected me with Brett, which is how I got, you know, so I was, I've been involved in the fitness industry for, I don't know, 13, 14 years now, but I just decided I was a passive listener for a long time and just consuming, consuming, consuming. And I think that a lot of people these days are really concerned about building their brand and they, they, they sell themselves short with their self-development by mm. starting to put out before they're done taking in. And not that you're done taking in by a long shot. I still listen to podcasts and stuff all the time and, and try to self-educate and read. And, you know, I write at least an article a month and, and um, all this stuff. And so uh, for me, it was, it was listening first, but you know, the only, in terms of, 
habits and things that I've done from an entrepreneurial standpoint, and this is really hard. It's always a growth process, but I try to only do things that I can go all in on. And so from a business standpoint, you know, what if we, what if we did this and we also did that in this, some people would like that, but it's like, you know, what if you just focus on doing one or two things really, really well? Yeah. Don't you think there's enough people out there that you can find, you know? And so I try to, I try to really, and that was what I focused on with the sports PT practice. I was like, I'm not going to even put anything on my website about chronic pain or this. I was like, I'm going to focus on, yeah, I can help you with chronic pain, but I want to focus on what I, I want to attract the right kind of clients because that's going to make me bring out the best in me. Yeah. And it's a symbiotic relationship. And yeah. so you know, we were joking around before we started recording. Uh, you know, I didn't respond to your email right when you reached out to me because I was like, I want to, you know, I, I looked you up and I was like, oh, this, I was like, I definitely want to do this podcast with them. But I, but you know how the inbox works, it kind of gets sure. pushed down and then I go back to it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to respond now because I know that the next couple of weeks are pretty busy, but I'll get back to them in like two weeks. And, um, you know, I, I've told the same thing with, uh, Wesley is uh, Wesley Wang is the uh, first therapist I hired. He's done a killer job. We've been working together for two and a half years now. And um, I told Wesley early on in his entrepreneur, he's kind of an entrepreneur because we have a, you know, a cash practice where he you eat what you kill and commission based and he's taken it and ran with it. You know, yeah. financially, I should have, I should have hired him for a flat rate at this point, but no, he's, <laughs> he's, done a, he's done a great job and, and um, made more, you know, from financially, done way better than a therapist could ever do charge insurance working in a practice on their own or working in a big practice. And so I told Wesley, I was like, don't open an email. Cause he like forgot to respond to an email on time. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to like bring the hammer down on him. But I was like, dude, this is your lifeline. Like this is, I was like, you're working. I was like, don't open an email until you're ready to respond to it <laughs> or That's don't, great. you know, or mark it as unread. Like you don't, yeah. you have to be, you have to be very systematic about those approaches and whether it's responding to an email, whether it's starting a whole new business practice, a new offering, do you have time to make, you know, let's say online business, do you have time to make a really killer sales page? You have time to really walk the customer through uh, before they come, you know, to walk the lead through what that experience is going to be. Do you have time to make them start to imagine why they might want to purchase your products? So, you know, invest in you and in social media, I'm not going to just throw out crappy posts. So I'll go a week without posting if I need to. Now that's not good advice for young social media people. You got to post to grow. That's just, yeah. the, that's just the reality of it. But for where I'm at now, I'm, I'm able to, you know, my social doesn't really grow that much anymore, but I'm not worried about that. I'm like, I have the audience in front of me. Now I want to just, and people with 10,000 followers can do the same thing. You have the audience in front of you. How do you get to know them better? You know, it's like, sometimes we can do a rut of doing the same thing because it takes a lot more work to grow takes a lot more work to take a step back to take those two forward. And so with everything I do, I just try to, I'm like, and like I said, it is a work in progress with all the different things, but I try to not do something unless I feel like I have the time and I can go all in, all in on it. That's great advice. Man, you, get, you get like overwhelmed mentally. It's, it's challenging, you know, I and, fall into that trap a few dude, times. And, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 that's really good advice. I know personally, 
like I just said, I, I've, I've had them, I've made the mistake of trying to do too many things at once. Or, um, I think there's value, like you said, in figuring out what you are good at and what you can specialize in right now. And if you want to expand one day, that's great. You can do that. Yeah. You can always, like you said, you, you decided I'm going to do, um, sports specific PT, athletic performance specific PT. Not that you can't you know, a work with chronic pain patients or older populations or weekend warriors or whatever, but you picked a lane and you yeah. stuck to that lane until it worked for you. And then once that was rolling, you had the momentum, then you yeah. could decide, okay, maybe now I want to open up a sector of my business that focuses on this side of things. Right. And right. as a, it's one I agree, time. I agree with you in, in the whole, I think I think um, youth or or being young makes you feel like you're running out of time for some reason. Like I, I I've fallen into this trap where, um, like I'm 29 now, but like say in my mid to mid 20s to now, I've fallen into this trap where I'm like, oh, I, I gotta be I gotta be done with this by the time I'm 30. I gotta have this business running at this yeah. you know yeah. peak performance by the time I'm 30. And it's like those are all made up things in my head that I've I've created these constraints for myself that don't yeah. exist. Yeah. And and I think that um, that had caused me to make decisions to do too many things at once because you're like trying to cast this net to catch anything you can. Because right, you're right. you're just trying to succeed, but really that's that's like the opposite of what you want to be doing. And we all get caught up on that, you know. I mean, that's what that's what therapy is like. Psychotherapy for people is trying to help them to improve their coping mechanisms and remind them of what they, you know, rationally know during their irrational times. Right. We all get caught up in that. But uh, yeah, the more that you can develop those processes, you know, another process that I think has helped me a lot with the different projects and, and kind of being like a little ADHD with stuff is like blocking out time and scheduling my time. I'm sure that you're familiar with this from, from your career and, and working, yeah. uh, you know, online uh, yeah. and doing, doing more things digitally. You have the opportunity to get sidetracked. Yeah. And it's like, I went through a period of time where I wasn't, I was frustrated with myself because I wasn't making enough content and I realized that I wasn't planning the time to make the content. And it's yeah. like, what the hell were you thinking, Teddy? It's like, you know, yeah. you, it's like, so you also, you can't expect yourself to do more than you're capable of, you know, right. just cause you're awake for 16 hours a day. doesn't mean you can work for 16 hours a day either. No, not at all. And so, uh, you know, finding blocking time to, it, it just depends on how robotic you are. You want to be with your stuff. And I, I don't say robotic in a negative way. I just say it in like a disciplined way. But like if you plan times to, you know, take time off, I think that's also really important as yeah. when you're, when you're a high performer, because yeah. you're making, man, this COVID stuff, I've made more hard to hard decisions in the past two months. than like, I feel like I made in the past couple of years. How so? I mean, it, it was a hard, it was decisions about, you know, we're taking everybody's temperature at the door. Everybody's wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Trainers can't work out while patients are in the door. Uh, Got it. You know, pe like decisions about telling people when they are allowed to make money and not and stuff like that. It's been it's really tough. hard. It's been That's really tough. hard. And, you know, um, 
when you have that type of psychological, emotional stress from making those decisions, sometimes you have to take time. You need downtime too. You can't turn around and then write your best article, (laughs) like after after a really tough conversation, you know. And so, there's um yeah we 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 wish we were just like machines and we could just like switch tasks and just be like boom I'm in my writing mode and all the stuff I just deal dealt with in my last meeting doesn't exist anymore. But that's just not how we work, right? I agree with you that I had a conversation with a um a friend of mine who's trying to get into the online space as well. And they were asking me, you know, how do you, how do you stay productive? How do you, uh, and, and I'm like, I'm having this conversation with them and I'm like, I don't even know if I figured this out. So <laughs> I, like I kept, I kept saying, at least like, I look like I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I kept, I kept saying in the conversation, like, hopefully this is helpful. Like, I don't even know if this works for me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But essentially they had all of the right ideas but they were missing the whole point of scheduling their time out. Like they were just trying to move from one thing to the next and not really like, Oh, I guess I'll do this now. Uh, Maybe I'll work on a post now. Maybe I'll do some client work now. And I was, I, I told them the one thing that's worked best for me is just saying, okay, every day between this time and this time, that's my client work time. And then every day between, or, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, between this time and this time, that's when I create content for social right. media. And right. it, it, because if you don't get into that habit of doing that, um, you essentially are like your body, your brain will pick, pick the, the path of least resistance, right? So if like, unless you really love making social media content, like if you don't schedule that stuff out, then your right. brain will just find a right. way to not do it, right? Yeah. So... It'll just be like, oh, I'll just do some mobility stuff because that's what you like to do, right? Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I won't take any more of your time. This was a really good podcast for me. I learned a lot from you. And, um, you know, I, I hope you had a good time with the podcast as well. Um, I want to give you the opportunity. Yeah. I want to give you the opportunity to just plug anything you want to plug. Um, I know you have a few different things. I, you you even have an uh, online training thing yourself at Citizens yeah, Athletic, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. So go ahead and plug where people can find you, um, what resources you have available and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Instagram, my, my name is Strength Coach Therapy. Uh, Which is an awesome handle, by the way. (laughs) It's all all one word. I remember when I made that handle, a couple of my friends, uh, you know, not like in the industry, just whatever. They were like, they were like, that's too long. Yeah, yeah. I was like, my wife knows you as Strength Coach Therapy because that's what I'll refer to you as. Because I always like, I'll see your stuff. And over the years, I'll be like, yeah, look, check this out. And she's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's strength coach therapy. So when I was telling her that I was having the podcast with you, I was like, oh, I'm going to have Teddy on the podcast. She's like, who? I was like, strength coach therapy. Uh, she goes, funny. oh, okay. <laughs> I want to get a picture here before I, before we hang up here. Um, yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah, strength coach therapy and then citizenathletics.com is uh where more of my like writing content is going right now but we have a lot of guest writers on there as well and so it's not just not just me um and we're also i'm also doing uh some youtube work on citizen athletics on the citizen athletics youtube as well got it okay and that's uh on youtube as citizen as citizens athletic citizen athletics citizen yeah. athletic okay yes, cool yeah so i mean if you uh 
if you have questions for Teddy, reach out to him. I didn't. I I, I shot him an email in the dark, thinking uh, there's no way he's ever going to respond for this podcast, but he did. Uh, he might take a little while because, like he said, he only responds to emails when he's sure he can <laughs> commit to that time. But um, yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure you do your best to answer all the DMs and everything like that too. So yeah, um, check check Teddy out uh, if you haven't already, um, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for having me.